The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Being that Columbus Day was this past Monday, I kind of wanted to spend some time on some of the myths and some of the truths of Christopher Columbus. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Now, my son, he's now at an age where he can tangibly accept more of the details of history, things that are being taught to him. And so one of his assignments to do like a virtual learning day was to look into Christopher Columbus. And it got me thinking, you know, with all of the craziness that we're seeing right now, with everything that's going on after the Kavanaugh hearing, the freakouts, the um, the lack of civic knowledge, the fact that the Supreme Court is so, so dear and near to the hearts of these these anarchists and these these Nazis on the left, the ones who basically were brought through the college system and academia and fed tons and tons of lies. I wanted to see if this is something that my own son was going to encounter through his learning. And what I did when I I looked through it for any inconsistencies and luckily on what he was studying, there wasn't any, thank goodness. I'm in an area where we actually have more of a conservative uh, bent on our education So they haven't injected that craziness in there. But we had a worksheet that went along with it that we found online just to kind of further help him understand. My wife, you know, printed it up and I started reading it. And it was a five-question questionnaire. And it was really interesting because it didn't take long into the fourth question that what states don't celebrate Columbus Day? And what do they celebrate? Indigenous Peoples Day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that sheet we found there was some other inconsistencies so we scrapped it but it was interesting because why is there this need to vilify christopher columbus for the last 10 years it's like yeah christopher columbus he was that dick that showed up on the island and killed all those people genocidal maniac yeah that's been the push and so they spent this entire time vilifying this guy and one of the things i ran into when i was talking to a friend of mine at church um somebody who is a, a very well-versed in the Bible and also in American history. He said, well, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is that Christopher Columbus had a heavy faith in God. And I, I started thinking about that. I was like, you know, maybe that's the reason why. Maybe the revisionist history that is being done through the statist and the progressives who want to destroy anything that has any sort of basis in natural God-given rights, the fact that our country was founded on Christian basis and Christian foundations, which they don't want to exist, that they don't want to believe was a catalyst behind the decisions made as far as how we govern ourselves. Well, maybe that's the reason why they wanted to destroy Columbus, because they have to destroy everything in American history. We're taking down statues. We're destroying the reputation of the founding fathers, changing street names. You know, it's all about the destruction of the American culture and the American history. And so everybody knows there is a history book that was injected after I got out of school by Howard Zinn. And it is 
pretty ridiculous. I mean, this is like perfectly well written by the left. And in fact, I want to read a summary that I found first before I get into some of Howard Zinn's propaganda. And then I want to lead into something that Christopher Columbus actually wrote himself, which was found and translated into English. And we'll give you a juxtaposition to what is being fed to our kids through progressive propaganda. All right, this is from the summary. Today, Americans celebrate Columbus's exploration on Columbus Day, seemingly oblivious to the fact that he was a genocidal killer. (laughs) At the end of the 15th century, in a place later known as the Bahamas, Arawak men and women emerged from their villages to watch as Christopher Columbus and his sailors came to shore. Columbus later wrote that the Arawak were primitive, beautiful, and hospitable, and that they would make fine servants. Columbus had come to the New World in search of gold and spices, which he was actually looking for a new route through the West to the Indies. But, you know, never mind that. Back to this summary. He'd been sent by the rulers of Spain, a newly unified nation-state, and had promised a share of the riches. He had intended to sail to Asia. He was lucky that he found North America in the middle of his voyage, since otherwise he and his crew would have starved. In the New World, Columbus immediately built a fortress, kidnapped Arawaks, and ordered his crew to search for gold. However, they didn't find any. On his second voyage to the New World, Columbus again failed to find gold. Instead, he kidnapped more Indians, many of whom died on the voyage back to Europe. In Haiti, he enslaved entire tribes, ordering them to search for gold or be killed. In just two years, Columbus killed nearly half the population of Haiti. One of the few prominent European critics of Columbus's tyrannical regime was Bartolome de las Casas, a young priest who owned a plantation in Cuba. Las Casas argued that the natives' people of the New World were polite and mostly peaceful, and that Columbus had destroyed the natives' way of life forever. Now see, real quick on a side note, this is, this is what is fed to this progressive, democratic, socialist, anarchist, um, commune-wanting left that has come out of academia, the ones that were protesting at the Kavanaugh uh, confirmations, beating on the Supreme Court door because their status government god had been altered with a change in the balance of conservative power by his appointment. That's why they freaked out. That's the whole reason why they brought some women up there and tried to whore them out, no pun intended, by saying that he was doing gang, you know, bangs and, and date rape gangs, trains and what have you. Just destroying this guy's credibility because they were afraid of their government god being altered and minimizing its power away from their point of view. Well, they look at that way of life, living in a commune, everybody sharing together as this utopia. And basically, this is saying that that utopia was disturbed and destroyed because Columbus showed up. Unbelievable. Thus, Zinn concludes, began the history 500 years ago of the European invasion of the American Indians in their settlements in America. Oh, yeah, that's the, that was his whole reasoning for showing up is he just wanted to destroy, you know, the Indians on his second pass back. Now, this is from the actual book. Arawak men and women, naked, tawny, full of wonder, emerged from their villages on to the island's beaches, swam out to get a closer look at the strange big boat. When Columbus and his sailors came ashore carrying swords, speaking oddly, the Arawaks ran to greet them, brought them food, water, gifts. He later wrote in his log, They brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawk spells. 
They willingly traded everything they owned. They were well-built, good bodies, handsome features. They do not bear arms and do not know them. For I showed them a sword, they took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. So they were this peaceful nation, and all of a sudden, Columbus showed up and just screwed that all up. Now, we found a transcript not too long ago, not me personally, but historians found it, translated it to English. This was something that Columbus wrote on his third voyage. And I'm going to read just the introduction, but you're going to get a pretty different view of Columbus on this. At a very early age, I began to sail upon the ocean. For more than 40 years, I have sailed everywhere that people go. I prayed to the most merciful Lord about my heart's great desire, and he gave me the spirit and the intelligence for the task. Seafaring, astronomy, geometry, arithmetic, skill in drafting spherical maps and placing correctly the cities, rivers, mountains, and ports. I also studied cosmology, history, chronology, and philosophy. It was the Lord who put it into my mind. I could feel his hand upon me. The fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he, com he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination from the Holy Scriptures, a strong and clear testimony from the 44 books of the Old Testament, from the four Gospels, and from the 23 epistles of the blessed apostles, encouraging me to continually press forward. And without ceasing for a moment, they now encourage me to make haste. Our Lord Jesus desired to perform a very obvious miracle in the voyage to the Indies to comfort me and to those who are people of God. I spent seven years in the royal court discussing the matter with many persons of great reputation and wisdom in all of the arts. And in the end, they concluded that it was all foolishness, so they gave up. But since things generally came to pass when they were predicted by our Savior Jesus Christ, we should also believe that this particular prophecy will come to pass. In support of this, I offer the gospel text, Matthew 24, 35, in which Jesus said all things would pass away, but not his marvelous word. He also affirmed that it was necessary that all things be fulfilled that were prophesied by his, himself and by the prophets. I said that I would state my reasons and... I hold alone to the sacred and holy scriptures and to the interpretations of the prophecy given by certain devout persons. It is possible that those who seek and see this book will accuse me of being unlearned in literature, of being a layman and a sailor. I reply with the words of Matthew eleven twenty five, Lord, because thou hast hid these things from the wise, the prudent, and hath revealed them unto babes. The holy scripture testifies in the Old Testament by our Redeemer Jesus Christ that the world must come to an end. The signs of when this must happen are given by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The prophets also predict many things about it. Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, said that before the end of the world, all things must come to pass that have been written by the prophets. The prophets wrote in various ways. Isaiah is one of the most praised by Jerome, Augustine, and by other theologians. They all say that not only was Isaiah not only a prophet, but an evangelist as well. Isaiah goes into great detail in describing future events and calling in all people to our holy faith. So obviously, faith was pretty uh, important to Christopher Columbus. And they want to destroy him simply because of his historical relevance and the fact that the America was founded based upon something holy, something biblical. This is Adrian Slade.
Welcome back. So in the first segment, we were juxtapositioning the Howard Zinn leftist view of Christopher Columbus against Christopher Columbus's own words. And this is something I wanted to do because, you know, Monday was Columbus Day or to the uh, to the Nazi progressives, Indigenous Peoples Day, which we're going to get into that. But I wanted to show that some of this, some of the attacks on Christopher Columbus, because back in what the eighties, nineties, we barely were talking about. There was this slow buildup to where suddenly he's a genocidal maniac, and it makes you wonder: Is it because he had some sort of semblance of Christianity involved in his reasoning for going to the New World? I mean, I, or, or stumbling into the New World? But the fact in his trip in general, because he didn't know he was going to land and in the Americas. But in his trip in general, he felt led to go because of his creator. And I'm not saying you have to be a Christian to understand that the fundamental foundation of America is based on Christian values, but you do benefit from it because that is us saying, yes, we govern the people through a president and a Congress and a, you know, a legislative body, a Supreme Court that interprets what goes through but the ultimate authority was always our creator. And that allows us to have our natural rights, our right to free speech, our right to uh, bear arms, our right to assemble and protest and, and down the line, due process. Everything came from the fact that we understood that even though we are, some of us are in positions of governance, there's a higher governance. It's kind of like, and not to get biblical again, but with the Bible in, in Israel, you know, back in the early days, Back when it was just judges, the only king was God. There was no king of Israel as far as a man is concerned. But the judges came in to correct them when they went crazy and, and became self-centered and placed themselves in the pedestal of God, to which that's where the kings came from. And so similarly, in America, the president at the time, George Washington, that's why he was so humble. That's why he walked out. And didn't look back. That's why he dedicated the nation to God. Because he understood natural rights allow us to govern ourselves, to govern our family. We can be totalitarian within our own family because it's just a couple of us. You know, mom and pa knows what's up. We're going to tell the kids, hey, this is why you do it. You do it because I said so. But on a grand level, that's, that's inconceivable. You can't do that. It's impossible, and it's been shown through Stalin and Lenin and Mao and down the line. It never works. People die because those that make question authority are going to rise up. So the indoctrination has been placed into full bore on campus colleges and, uh, or college campuses, and this is why we get stories like this one from Campus Reform. Anti-Brett Kavanaugh protest. Postpone in recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day. <laughs> yeah, we can't have the protest on this day because it's about Indigenous people. An anti-justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh protest at Scripps College in California was pro uh, postponed after student organizers re realized the event was scheduled on Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day. Quote, we want to deeply apologize for scheduling this event on the same day as our second annual Indigenous Peoples Day, student organizers wrote. 
Monday is a day for indigenous and non-indigenous allies to stand in solidarity and acknowledge the genocidal mission system that enslaved and killed 80% of natives living on this land. Additionally, we stand in solidarity with the 5,100 missing and murdered indigenous people. Unbelievable. Student organizers at Scripps College had planned a protest against the uh, United States Senate and the decision to move Kavanaugh into the Supreme Court nomination. The protest aimed to support survivors and show solidarity with those who are distraught by the Senate's recent decision, according to one of the event organizers. The Facebook event des- uh, description states that this has been a really devastating time in U.S. politics. Why? Because you're losing? Because you ain't winning? Because after eight years of just cramming your crap down our throats, you're now seeing the pendulum swing the other way and you can't handle it? Sorry, that's just my own little <laughs> commentary. Back to the article. We want to demonstrate our outrage. Yeah, they're always demonstrating outrage. Beating on doors of the Senate, you know, directing traffic in Portland and, and pulling white people aside with their Antifa thug vigilante, you know, douche, douchebaggery. But anyways, um, the vote approving Brett Kavanaugh to the highest court of America has caused us much outrage. Meet in front of the... Uh, Mallet Hall at noon on Monday to join in protest of the terrible Senate decision. Well, interestingly enough, what has been coming into question is something that I question because I've brought this up in the past. Were these people actually indigenous? From Time Magazine, new research is turning century-old hypotheses on Native Americans' origins on its head. You don't say. A team of uh, geneticists An anthropologist published an article in Science Magazine on Tuesday that traces Native Americans to a single group that settled in what's now America far later than what scientists previously thought. The researchers looked at a sequenced DNA from bones as well as the sequenced uh, genomes from American and Native American volunteers with heritage from not only the Americas, but also Siberia and Oceania, um, says according to Ramos Nielsen, a computational geneticist at the University of California, Berkeley, and one of the authors of the study. The researchers contacted people whose heritage indicate that they were uh, from, you know, over in Siberia. The two ethnic diversions of Native American descent, Ameridinian and Athenbeskian, probably botched that, but that's okay. You get the point. Specifically, they looked at their uh, microndial DNA, which is passed from mother to child. What they found fundamentally challenges what scientists previously thought. The team found that Native Americans most likely had a common Siberian origin, Russian collusion, (laughs) contradicting theories that an earlier migration from Europe had occurred. So we're now breaking the indigenous people's premise because that's what you do. Reject the premise every time. You know, they, they act like, American or Native Americans just popped up magically out of the blue in America, and this was their land. Never mind the fact that they were selling parcels of land and laughing because they thought you couldn't own land. They were nomads. They were fighting each other, tribe against tribe. But anyways, the timeline um, they have goes something like this. About 23,000 years ago, a single group splintered off from an East Asian population. The group hailing from Northeast Asia crossed the Bering Land Bridge. Remember the Bering Strait? 
between the between Asia and Alaska, eventually making their way to the rest of the Americas about 13,000 years ago. Much more recent than previous theories, Native Americans started to split into different groups, creating the genetic and cultural diversity that exists today. But, you know, these are the same people that are in California going, you people don't like brown people. We need to give California back to Mexico. Guess what? Mexicans aren't indigenous either. They never complain about the Mexicans. They never complain about the genocide of the Aztecs and the, uh, and the Mayans. They never complain about those things. It's only America, because what is the real goal? It's to destroy the American heritage, the American foundation, the American founding, Western civilization, capitalism, representative republicanism, destroy the uh, electoral college, destroy representation through legislation, and give it to a court system that will mandate its will upon the citizenry without any reprisal, which is why they were livid over Brett Kavanaugh being confirmed. They didn't care about Neil Gorsuch because the balance was still there, but losing the balance is what set them over the edge. This is what I'm talking about. It's all about power. It's all about destroying the fundamental foundation of America, the premise of America, and recreating it in this communist, commune, utopia that cannot exist because sinful beings cannot operate that way. Self-interest comes into play. You've got sin, which adds to corruption. And again, capitalism is the one political ideology or the one governance, the one thing that can succeed beyond sin and beyond corruption, where communism and Marxism Hegelism, it all falls apart under that premise. So reject the premise of indigenous people because that doesn't exist. And celebrate Columbus back in a moment. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. All this talk of Indigenous Peoples Day and some places in California. Some college campuses in California decided, hey, we can't protest the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh because it lands on on Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, you know who else was a big fan of uh, not voting in uh, Brett Kavanaugh? And also somebody who isn't exactly down with indigenous people. And when I say indigenous people, I mean the citizens of his own district. That would be... Beto O'Rourke. Yes, the beta male O'Rourke, the failed mall punk musician who decided one day he was going to drive over three lanes of traffic into oncoming traffic almost to get head on with a blood alcohol content of 0.13 and only to run from the uh, scene of the crime and then, you know, get pulled back by the police officer to where he couldn't even speak. He was so wasted. We talked about that uh, either last week or the week before where we read the... uh, the actual police report, but there's other developments that no one's talking about. You know, there's a lot of things in O'Rourke's past that he doesn't want to speak of. But luckily, allies of Ted Cruz are targeting this Democratic opponent. This is from Texas Tribune. In a new TV ad over his support on the El Paso City Council for a plan to redevelop downtown El Paso, which raised the threat of eminent domain. The plan never went that far, but fueled a contentious chapter in El Paso politics, starting over a decade ago. The new TV ad from the Club for Growth, a national conservative group that recently announced a seven-figure offensive in the race, 
portrays O'Rourke as a puppet of wealthy developers who pushed the project, including his father-in-law, Bill Sanders. Quote, El Paso's rich and powerful stay that way by controlling politicians like Beto O'Rourke, says a narrator in a 30-second spot. As Councilman Beto carried water for his wealthy father-in-law, the developer behind a downtown redevelopment scheme, pushing the city to bulldoze an historic Hispanic neighborhood using eminent domain. While eminent domain was never used in conjunction with the project, the specter of it was controversial from the start. O'Rourke was one of those on council who at least initially wanted to preserve the option of eminent domain as a last resort and, for example, help defeat a June 2006 motion to rule it out. A month later, as public concerns were growing about the plan, the council, including O'Rourke, voted to ban the use of eminent domain during the first year of the project. Sanders, his father-in-law, said uh, in, two, in April 2006 that he would not invest in the project to avoid creating an ethical dilemma for his son-in-law, according to the El Paso Times article from the time. Later in the year, however, he decided to invest in the plan after all, citing encouragement he received from then-Mayor John Cook and promised any dividends would go to a downtown, uh, downtown nonprofit. Hmm. So the revitalization plan was introduced in March of 2006 by Paso del Norte Group, a private organization made up of regional business elites, including Sanders, and would have impacted the historic Mexican-American neighborhood of Segundo Barrio. In fact, what's funny is, let's listen to a clip. It's about six minutes long. It's a long clip, but I'm going to translate this clip. In exchange between the citizens of Segundo Barrio and Beto O'Rourke and his handlers. That's why we feel the way we do. Why have we been pushed aside? We are part of this community. You say you're going to do things for the barrio, but we haven't been included in your plans. We were treated like a stone on the road that needs to be moved out of the way. I was at a meeting where the city's planning commission recommended that a separate plan be made for the entire Segundo Barrio. And when I saw how the map had been charted out instead, I asked, how is that if the commission recommended that the whole Segundo Barrio come under a different plan? Why have you cut out a section of the Barrio separately? That doesn't make any sense. That's a contradiction. I asked this at the city meeting, you were there, and they responded. You see, this sector of the Segundo Barrio generates a lot of money because of the businesses here. And Mexican consumers contribute more than $2 billion to the regional economy. Large numbers of shoppers pass through here, and then turn around and go back to Mexico. And now if they want to change the name of part of that Segundo Barrio, they want to call it the Golden Horseshoe. So how is it that the Segundo Barrio should develop a plan specifically for the whole Segundo Barrio? You are now cutting off a sector of that Barrio. And I told them, that's not right. And you told you directly, Mr. O'Rourke, imagine how people are going to react when they find out that you've been talking from both sides of your mouth. Here's his handler. The people who put this plan together needed to figure out how to connect. 
the downtown part of the plan to the Juarez Bridge. To make that connection, it's not only because this part makes a lot of money, but also to make the connection. Here's another gentleman. We were kicked out of the OA people and kicked out of our houses and only given 20000 for our houses? That's wrong. And now the people who live at Mesa and 8th Street are being offered 16000 for their house. The people are being ripped off. And that's just wrong. The handler for Beto now. If someone comes to your home and tells you here's a check for $20,000, you don't have to agree. You don't have to sell. It's against state law for the city to come and take your property for economic development. Here's the citizens. That's a lie. The city can condemn their home. If it declares the area where the house is a blighted zone, they don't have to give her what she's asking for. Here's Beto's handler. It's not the intention of the city, and I can't say with any intention, the city has no intention of taking your homes away. Here's Beto. As Victor said, the city is not in the business of building buildings. or tearing down buildings. It's not the city's business. But if a private owner wants to raise his building or sell his building, then he's free to do that. These investors are individuals with a, with a lot of money. So why don't they go, says one lady in the crowd. Why don't they go buy up the land in the mountain that's very expensive? Why do they come down here where the table is set for them? Why do you want to strip us of our land? Because we are humble people? Here's Beto. If somebody wants to buy up a building and the owner wants to build and sell, everything is legal. Here's a citizen. We used to be happy here in the Burio. Yes, with all of its defects, but we were happy. Here's another one. And now you've bought this new plan into the Burio and you have us living in fear. Here's Beto. There's a lot of people working in the area, very hardworking people who are frightened by the people who live here. And you know who that is? Beto says yes. It's your own father-in-law, says the citizen. And that's not okay. It's just your opinion. No, that's not just my opinion. I'm telling you what's going on here, says the citizen. Many people have sold their homes out of fear. The, this was the plan development for in secret for two years. Only after this period, the city unveiled it. So if they didn't include us for two years, says the citizen, while they were coming up with the plan, what should we expect now that um, it has already been approved and finalized by the city. I also want to say that you have treated the people in this barrio with a tremendous lack of respect, says the citizen. And here is proof of the material right here. She holds up the documents showing the plan. This photo of their presentation shows how one of the city's meetings to offer, the city offered and played games with us and the people of this barrio. They kind of set up a monopoly game and asked those at the meeting as if none of you lived here. And if we were nothing here, as if nobody's home was here, they asked the individuals play in this game, what would you like to see here? They made the Barrio residents disappear. This is a tremendous lack of respect. And then she sits down, another citizen. There have been several meetings where she said, there had been a, a lack of respect shown towards us. That's the truth. At one meeting, they said they were going to tear down our apartments because they were full of cockroaches and lice. So then, what are you saying about us? Are you insulting us? Sure, we're poor, but you have no right 
to state that we are infested like cockroaches and lice. That's a profound lack of respect, especially in a public meeting. There has been a real lack of respect shown towards us in several meetings. That's why the community doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Are you referring to this meeting tonight? No, not this meeting. You mean other meetings? Yes, they said the meetings near, near the boys club where Mr. O'Rourke spoke. Unbelievable. Yeah, the citizens of Segundo Barrio, not too thrilled with him. <laughs> That's his own constituents, but he doesn't care. He's going to just you know, take their houses and give them just chump change and let them deal with it. But his family has also had interesting run-ins, too. Melissa O'Rourke, Beto's mother, ran a furniture store in El Paso called Charlotte's Inc., which was the family-owned business that would survive three generations of leadership. Early in 2010, the business was raided by government and IRS agents in which financial records were seized as part of a search warrant. Early allegations stemming from now-deleted news postings hinted that the uh, business was the target of a money laundering operation. No further details were given through those sources. She pled guilty to paying back $250,000, and the company was put on five years probation. And his father, Peter, or Pat O'Rourke, I'm sorry, not Peter O'Rourke. He's the biggest, this is the most overlooked event in the O'Rourke family history, stemmed from a 1983 case involving two members of the El Paso Police Department, Beto's father, Pat Francis, who at the time was a county judge for El Paso, and they were able to find a news report covering the incident. Over eight months after the initial incident, the only article covering this incident in full was one from the AP that we dug up. El Paso, Texas. A sheriff's captain suspended for three days says he told two deputies to destroy a white powdery substance found in the county judge's vehicle because he thought the substance was planted. Captain Willie Hill was suspended this week after an internal investigation verified that Hill told the deputies to get rid of the substance they found back in February while installing a two-way radio in the car of El Paso County Judge Pat O'Rourke. Sheriff Mike Davis was ordered a suspension after the investigation last week. Now, remember, his dad was also the one that got him off on his little DUI uh, hit-and-run incident. So this is what you're dealing with in Texas. Failed pop-punk singer, DUI recipient, running from the scene of a crime, mom launders money from the IRS through their business, dad's doing blow, maybe got some hookers in blow, I don't know. But you're running this guy who is a George Soros puppet. George Soros is funding his campaign And they're all doing this because they're trying to make him like this great new blue hope against somebody solid like Ted Cruz. Anybody from Texas listening to the program, you guys better get out there and vote. Seriously. By the way, follow me on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade broadcast you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for what you care about that's why i believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the house and or the senate that's when civility can start again you can't be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for what you care about maybe they want to shoot you on a baseball field? Maybe they want to attack you on a riding lawnmower? Maybe they want to just, you know, show up at a restaurant and just heckle you the whole way out of the restaurant. You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. 
who have protesters taking up at their house. He's saying no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. It is time for us as Democrats to be as tough as they are, to be as dedicated as they are, to be as committed as they are. Michelle always says, Michelle Obama, I love her, you know, she and my wife like really tight, um, which always scares me and Barack. <laughs> but Michelle always says that, you know, when they go low, we go high. No, no. When they go low, we kick them. That's your Democrat Party gang. Oh, and how did they take out, or how did they try to take out Kavanaugh? Much like they did with Bork. It's a nice little formula that Nancy Pelosi can tell you all about. If you want to talk politics, you call it the wrap-up smear. You smear somebody with falsehoods and all the rest, and then you merchandise it. And then you write it, and they'll say, see, it's reported in the press that this, 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 and this... So they have that validation that the press reported the smear, and then it's called the wrap-up smear. Now I'm going to merchandise the press's report on the smear that we made. And it's, it's a tactic. Wow, Ms. High Heel Pelosi. Remember how they said, wow, look at Pelosi. She's standing up there for hours and hours filibustering in high heels. She's such a powerful woman. Yeah, Ms. High Heel Pelosi gave up the goods on how they astroturfed Brett Kavanaugh. And there's more evidence of that because these idiots are lockstep just regurgitating whatever anyone says. This is a practice to a, uh, to a protest uh, chant brigade, I guess. But when you listen to it, you're like, they have to practice like this? Listen to this. On cloture. We are voting on cloture. In 30 minutes. In 30 minutes. Meet me to the left. Meet me to the left. If you would like to go to an office, if you would like to go to an office, to spend time, spend time with your senator, with your senator, go to that office. Go to that. But yeah, this is all supposed to be 100% organic, grade A outrage, grassroots. They wouldn't bust people in, would they? They wouldn't pay to have people show up and protest and make these viral video moments. Nah, they wouldn't do that at all. The likelihood is that we will be out all day and then be coming coming back later on. One thing that I wanted to say that is important, um, if you post on social media, please do not mention that you are from New York City. Uh, the reason is, much though they love us, the Faso campaign on September 15th posted that uh, the, the Delgado campaign was sending, busing in busloads of New York City Democratic Socialists, bringing outsiders in to try to sway the campaign. And the campaign is understandably concerned about this, despite the fact that they know that the reason we're doing this is precisely because we care about New York and we care about our neighbors up there. But please, if you post on social media, do not mention that you are from New York City, just to try to limit that. 
Yeah, everything they do is so organic. You know, I mean, these are the things we have to worry about with the left because they're advocating for violence and they're paying to create an alternative reality and they've got their strategies in which they do so. And you know what? These kind of things blow up in people's faces. They incite riots. It's not like we didn't have Mr. Hodgkinson show up because he read a nice little article in the uh, it was either Washington Post or New York Times that basically laid out a scenario. You know, if you really wanted to take out half of the Republicans that are in Congress, you could go down to the baseball field where they're unarmed and they're practicing for their baseball game that's coming up. And then all of a sudden, what happens months later? That's what happens. You know, if we're going to have people out there and say, hey, go out there and, and just catch people at restaurants, you know, maybe the Department of Homeland Security is eating at El Tapatio or whatever, you know, El Burrito, and, and you can yell at her and, and force her out of a restaurant because you want to say that she's taking brown children because they always call them brown people. They're not racist or anything. But you want to take brown people and separate them from their parents. You shouldn't be eating a chimichanga right now. You shouldn't be having a Modelo. And then you go over to Ted Cruz and you run him out of restaurants. This is all after Maxine Waters calls for it. So it's no surprise that we get a story like what was in New York CBS, New York CBS 2 actually, Feds, New York man planned to blow himself up on the National Mall on Election Day. A New York man is under arrest for allegedly plotting to blow himself up on the National Mall on Election Day. Paul Rosenfeld, 56, wanted to kill himself to draw attention to his radical political beliefs, authorities said. As alleged, Mr. Paul Rosenfeld concocted a twisted plan to draw attention to his political ideology by killing himself on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., risking harm to many others in the process, said Attorney General uh, Jeffrey Berman. Rosenfeld's alleged plan for an Election Day detonation cut against our democratic principles. Rosenfeld allegedly supported a political belief called Sortium, I guess, which advocates for random selection of government officials. Yeah, that's going to work out swimmingly. It's the reason why the founders never thought that was a good idea. He, brought, he bought large quantities of black powder over the Internet to build a large bomb in his basement, authorities said. He had previously made and tested other small bombs, according to authorities. He's just one of those people. Very nice. Just an unassuming person, neighbor John Steiner said. It's always the nice, quiet neighbor, isn't it? When FBI agents uh, searched his home after getting a tip from a concerned citizen, they found what appeared to be a functional explosive device weighing approximately 200 pounds. So this guy was going to kill himself to raise awareness. The left loves raising awareness. That's why they always force these hashtags and these ribbons. You know, you can't watch a football game without everybody wearing pink freaking socks like nobody knows about breast cancer at this point. But, and that's not to take away from those who are suffering from breast cancer, and I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, come on, we know about this. It's always raising awareness. But that's the thing. These people are unhinged, and they don't care how they get their power. In fact, in California, the DMV says... Thousands of non-citizens may have been added to the voter roll. So, approximately 1,500 customers may have been registered to vote in error, the DMV wrote on a letter Monday to the Secretary of State's office. This error has been corrected, and it is separate from the processing error we notified about you back in September 5th. Non-citizens are among those affected uh, customers, and they are all, in early September, the DMV revealed 
It sent 23,000 erroneous voter registration cards, but they're all eligible to vote now. And they will utilize that to gain their power back. Gerrymandering. They're just going to gerrymander your districts. Just move around the lines, shape the pub, uh, you know, change the population makeup so that you can destroy your political enemies. They have no soul. Okay? So when you think about the left, you have to keep that in mind. That's why they're going to pretend to be Hispanic when they're Irish, like Beto. That's why they're going to sit there and destroy our culture by saying Christopher Columbus was a genocidal maniac. That's what they want to do. They want to destroy the foundations of this nation and recreate it in their crazy, convoluted, new world, communist fashion. And we got to fight back against it on a regular basis. You can't just sit back and go, oh, we got this. We got the presidency. You know, the, the American Idol election was, was good and, and it worked out in our favor. So it's all good. You got to get out to the midterms. They matter just as much. And obviously, they're hoping to take that power back because if they take that power back, they will, they will bring impeachment charges and they will weaponize the courts when they're in, in the presidential power. They will use the full force of the government upon all of us. Don't doubt me. Hey, just an update for you guys before we close out the show. We're on MeWe, which is the new Mojo 5.0 platform. We're also on Convo and Snippy. You can follow me on Gab, and you can search Adrian Slade on any of those platforms to find me. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to us every weekend on Mojo 5.0, the new platform for libertarian, conservatarian, conservative talk. Also, check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Spotify, and various other podcast platforms. Get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Also, you can donate patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show, $2 a month or whichever amount you wish. You can also check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>